Shalom and welcome to the Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. The Jewish Mind's pursuit to have modern life issues meet with the timeless wisdom of Judaism demands that we embrace that modern life issues are experienced differently by people. Thus, while the entire human race holistically is touched by each of its members' issues, however, some issues will resonate with some stronger than others. The primary purpose of these lectures is therefore for each of us to learn to identify with the underlying core issue rather than identifying with how we each experience differently the same issue. The core issue that we are dealing with here is precisely of how we resonate with other people's projections of their experiences. Let us understand the core issue of modern life. The internally, to internally resonate with how other people project themselves and their experiences is to subject ourselves to the confusion of why don't my insides feel like the way your outsides look? It is amazing how people who don't fundamentally trust other people and yet they fall prey to the naivete of believing that other people truly believe in themselves just the way they project themselves to. It is amazing to see how many people believe what other people say or show about themselves and their lives. Let's take the classic example of how we view our marriages in comparison to the way the other people project the beauty, the bliss, and the love of their marriage. We then fall into this deep depression, resentment, and jealousy of why the inside truth of our own marriage doesn't look as good as the outer projection of their marriage. The mere fact that what difference between their marriage and our marriage is only that they are better actors than we are and that they don't carry the truth of their marriage on their sleeves as we may doesn't even enter our suddenly naive minds which otherwise never trust anybody. In most scenarios, their marriage is on the whole neither better nor worse than ours. Both marriages have their ups and downs, their insides and their outsides. However, our sudden naivete creates very deep sensitivities of believing that there is something terribly wrong and missing with us and with our relationships. This lecture is going to take us to the core of why our insides and our outsides create different experiences of self and of life. In the process, this lecture is going to redirect us to viewing our insides in comparison to our own outsides rather than to other people's outsides. And then it will teach us how to reconciliate our own insides with our own outsides. As an introduction to this class, I want to share with you that when God created the world, there was a very clear boundary between the spiritual and the physical which in turn created a very strong sense of isolation in the universe. It is at Mount Sinai in preparation for God giving His spiritual Torah to the physical Jewish people that this boundary of separation and of isolation was brought down. Here is how our sages 
tell this story, quote, What is this likened to? It is likened to a king who decreed and said, The people of Rome will not descend to Syria, and the people of Syria will not ascend to Rome. Thus when the Almighty created the world, He decreed and said, The heavens are heavens of the Lord, but the earth He gave to the children of men. When he wanted to give the Torah, he canceled the first decree and said, The upper shall descend to the lower, and the lower will descend to the upper. And I will be the one to begin, as it is stated, and God descended upon Mount Sinai, and it is written, and to Moses he said, Ascend to God. End quote. What our sages are telling us is that originally there was a separation between heaven and earth, and that when God created man on earth, God gave earth to mankind, and with that, God concealed Himself within the spirituality of heaven. It was only at Mount Sinai where God was to give the original decree of I'm sorry, where God was to give the wisdom and lifestyle of heaven, which is the Torah, to the people on earth, that God nullified His original decree of separation between heaven and earth. Our sages are also pointing out to us that God nullified the separation between heaven and earth through two acts. First, God brought the upper heaven down to the lower earth through, and God descended upon Mount Sinai. And then God had the lower earth ascend to the upper heaven through, and to Moses He said, Ascend to God. This last point is of importance to us, as we will explore how to bring down the wall of isolation between our inner heaven and our inner earth. It begins with a two-part action of having our upper heaven descend into our lower earth and to have our lower earth to refine itself and ascend to our upper heaven. Another introduction that we need for our exploration is that of timeless time and spaceless space. In this week's Torah portion, we are taught of exactly when the Jewish people arrived at Mount Sinai. Here is what the verse says. In the third month of the children of, uh, the children of Israel's departure from Egypt, on this day, they arrived in the desert of Sinai. Upon which our sages say, Rava said, Everyone agrees that the Jews came to the Sinai desert on the new moon, as it is written here, in the third month after the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, on this day came they into the wilderness of Sinai without elaborating what day it was. And it is written here, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, Rava goes on to explain, Just as there the term this is referring to the new moon, so too here the term is referring to the new moon. So we know now, that the Jewish people arrived at Mount Sinai on Rosh Chodesh, the new moon of the third month. Now, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, known as Rashi, comments upon these ominous words on this day, on the moon, the new moon. That's what Rashi says. Then he goes on to explain, it could have said only on that day. What is the meaning of on this day? That the words of the Torah shall be new to you as if they were given just today. That is Rashi's comment on this words. In other words, Rashi first explains on which day the Jewish people arrived at Mount Sinai, which was, as the Talmud said, on Rosh Chodesh. However, then Rashi goes on to explore why the Torah is being paradoxical about how it is telling us the date. 
If it wanted to be hidden ominous about the date, leaving it for us to figure it out, then the Torah could have just said, on that day. However, the Torah is telling us that it was on this day. And the difference between that and this is that the word this is being explicitly clear, as when one points with his finger and says, this. Thus, Rashi extrapolates that the verse is telling us that God is talking to each of us and telling us, when did God give me this Torah that I am studying Torah? On this very day that I am studying. The mystical secret behind this teaching of Rashi is that the on this day with which the verse begins the story of God giving us the Torah is timeless time in which it is all-inclusive of each and every time that is to come here forth, in which the Torah is being studied. This is also the meaning behind the verse in Psalms. My tongue will proclaim your word, upon which our sages explain that when we study Torah, it is God's words upon our tongue. Our sages take this further to mean, that when we are studying Torah, it is God that is saying these very words of Torah right now, which are being placed upon our tongues. Thus, the words of Torah are precisely new, being given to us on this very day that we are studying them. And in truth, both these introductions are in essence one concept. You see, in the upper heaven, time is timeless, one and eternal. Thus, in the upper heaven, that moment of time, 3,329 years ago from this year that I am delivering this class, which is the year of 2017, the Jewish calendar year of 5,777. So it's 3,329 years ago when God spoke the Ten Commandments, is in upper heaven an eternal moment, which is continuously happening. In the lower earth time is strictly finite, defined in the separation of past, present, and future. The gift we have when God brought down the wall between the upper heaven and the lower earth is that whenever we study God's words of Torah, we are reconnecting with the timeless time when God said those words 3,329 years ago. And the continuous eternal saying of God is being said to us in the present finite time of lower earth right now on this day as we study these words of Torah. However, as we will soon see, it gets even more powerful than that. For as we mentioned, the teaching of our sages that when we study words of Torah, God is saying and placing those words on our tongue right in that moment. Thus, we actually have three concepts going on here. So let's go over the three concepts, important for us to understand. A. Timeless time of the eternalism of the upper heaven, in which the saying of God 3,329 years ago continues eternally being said by God. B. The second concept. Finite time boxed within the past, present, and future parameters of time in the lower earth. C, the third concept, and there is what happens after God brought down the wall of isolation between the upper heaven and the lower earth when a physical human studies the words of Torah 
today. Note, before I move on from the introductions into the lecture itself, I want to make note that in my second introduction I said both timeless time and spaceless space, and yet I only explained timeless time. So allow me to briefly explain how the two, timeless time and spaceless space, are actually one. Firstly, in the world of Kabbalah and Hasidus, space and time are two limitations that are actually one and are spiritually defined as time being before and after and space as being above and below. Both these concepts were created as the parameters of creation and therefore there is the mystical teaching on the first letter in Genesis being the Bet from Bereshit, B, Bereshis, which is the second letter of the Aleph Bet with the numerical value of two that God started creation by creating the two defining parameters of creation, which are time and space. Thus, these two limitations of time and space exist only in the lower earth, meaning the universe, and not in the upper heaven, meaning God. Now let us see how this fingerprint of the timeless and spaceless upper heaven exists within the Torah. Our sages teach us, I'm going to quote this to you, Reshlakish said, what is the significance of the verse, This is the law for the burnt offering? It teaches that whosoever occupies himself with the study of the Torah is as though he were offering a burnt offering. However, it is forbidden to bring an offering of the Holy Temple outside of the Holy Temple and at night. So someone in America studying the laws of a burnt offering at night is actually not allowed to bring the burnt offering. Thus, Kabbalah and Hasidus teach us that this is not a problem, for the Torah carries within it the fingerprint of God, which is timeless time and spaceless space. And therefore, through Torah study, one can bring the burnt offering in America and at night. And now let us begin the journey of reconciling ourselves. The first thing to redefine in the journey is the terminology that we are using. In Jewish mysticism, there is the linear approach and the circular approach. When we speak as linear people, we use the words upper and lower. However, when we speak as circular people, we use the words inside and outside. For example, when we speak of the holy supernal crown, we speak of two levels, that of the holy ancient one and that of the long faces. Don't worry about what they mean, they're just the two levels of the supernal crown for right now. Now, from a linear perspective, the Holy Ancient One is above and before and higher than the long faces. However, by definition, a crown is circular and encompassing, rather than linear and permeating. Thus, the language concerning the supernal crown is that of Pinimiot Keter, inside of the crown, and Chitzoniot Keter, outside of the crown. So too, when we speak of our upper heaven and our lower earth, we are speaking of our inner souls and our outer bodies. In essence, we are even talking within our souls itself as its inner essence and its outer faculties. Thus, we can now return to the title of our lecture, which is, Because my insides don't feel the way your outsides look. The point being that until we don't learn that within ourselves there is the paradox of our insides and our outsides, we are incapable of truly understanding that everyone has an inside and an outside. Therefore, we are busy measuring our chaotic insides to the other person's controlled expressive outsides. And because of this, 
we feel awkwardly less than, and as that, we just don't fit in. I was gifted to be trained in horseback riding. One of the fundamentals of horseback riding is to understand the relationship between a horse and its rider. The horse is very limited in its understanding of reality and its perception of self-preservation. To a horse, every sound and every rustle in the bushes is a predator waiting to devour them. And the horse's primary reaction to being spooked is flight. Additionally, the horse has no understanding of the purpose and value of the destination of the rider. The horse knows only of the straw that awaits it when its job is done. Another important concept to understand about our horses is that they do not just internalize our commands, but more dominantly, they reply to our feelings. A horse will immediately sense its rider's fear, doubt, and uncertainty just by the way we sit in their saddles and in the way we give the horses their orders. For horseback riding to be a productive and enjoyable experience, the horse must become an extension of its rider, acting upon the rider's focus and sense of security. The horse's reliance upon the rider's sense of security concerning the rustle in the bushes will override its own natural instincts of getting spooked and of reacting with flight. Okay, so much for the horseback riding. Let us now translate this into our outsides being the horse and our insides being the rider. Here is a story that will sum up perfectly the contrast between the rider's infinite paradigm of timeless time and spaceless space and the horse's finite paradigm of time and space. Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak of Lubavitch, when being interrogated under Stalin's regime, was not answering to carefully, carefully asked trap questions. The interrogator took out his revolver and placed it on the table, saying with a smirk, This toy has opened many a shut mouths. To which Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak calmly responded, That toy only works on people who have two gods and one world. I, however, have one god and two worlds. Wow. My friends, you just eavesdropped on a conversation between a horse and its rider in which the rider was breaking the spirit of the horse so that a destined journey can be traveled. The horse has no notion of the eternity of a soul's life, in which a soul defies time and space and lives in the there and the then equally as it does in the here and the now. However, the rider needs its horse in order to travel and to reach its destiny and fulfillment. For as we mentioned, God specifically gave the Torah to be fulfilled in the physical and finite lower earth, and not to the spiritual and infinite upper heaven. Thus, was the interrogator to go into a rage and have shot and killed Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, the rider would have not fulfilled his destiny. This is why, as we previously explained, the breaking of the wall in isolation has to be both. The upper heaven descended upon the lower earth and the lower earth being refined so that it ascends to the higher heaven. Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak had a long history in which he did not arrogantly defy Stalin's regime. Rather, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak took the long route throughout the years through which he earned the respect of the regime. 
Therefore, when he gave the, uh, that answer to the interrogator, the interrogator knew enough of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak to have been intrigued and impressed by the humility and certainty with, which with Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak gave him that reply. So too it is with our inside and our outsides. However, in the story of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, his insides were clear, calm, and his personal outside were humble and transparent to his insides. Therefore, in that story, even the interrogator was affected by Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak's words. However, in our personal lives it isn't always so. Our insides, the infinite power of timelessness and of spacelessness is experienced as chaos and we are very uncomfortable with it. There is a reason why in the education system of old we taught our children to squash the artistic right side of their brain, telling them that it is the linear methodological left brain that will bring them success. Thus, many of us have successfully squashed, neutered, or at least made submissive our infinite insides to our finite outsides. This is a key to the opening example that I gave concerning how we compare our marriages to other people's marriages or relationships. The fact that they have at least outwardly squashed their inside's infinite timeless and spaceless capacity of an eternal honeymoon is what makes their outsides look so good, so pleasant, and so put together. However, we say, me, I am looking for the chaotic powers of my infinite inside. And then we are painfully wondering why our insides don't feel like their outsides look. However, in truth, what we need to be asking ourselves is whether we have reconciled our own insides with our own outsides. So let us do that right now. How do we reconcile our insides with our outsides? Before we begin with comparing our insides to our outsides, let us start with exploring how we each identify our timeless and spaceless insides. Thus the question is, here's the question, are we infinitely calm or infinitely chaotic? You see, our outsides are not experienced as naturally humble and transparent to our insides. You have probably heard that before one can mount or even saddle a horse, one must first break its brazen spirit. Thus being that our primary consciousness and self-identity is that of our outsides, our experiences of our insides are seen through the brazen lenses and values of our outsides. So let's go back to that marriage comparison, only this time we compare the marriage experience of our insides to our outsides. Rabbi Yosef Rosen, known as the Rogachava Gon, once explained that according to the Torah, the Chuppah marriage ceremony is not a one-time act that remains intact until it is nullified either by a divorce or by a death. Rather, it is a continuous act in which the groom and bride continuously get married every moment of their marriage. This paradigm is precisely as that of the Torah's timelessness of being given on this day. 
So let's take this into the paradigm of our outsides. Our insides want our marriage to be precisely that internal, eternal honeymoon experience. And we get very frustrated when our outsides don't look the way our insides feel. The same applies to our relationships, whether it is our relationship with God, with ourselves, or with others. We want life to always feel like our eternal, infinite insides capacity of on this day. However, in reality, our outsides realize that living continuously as such is chaotic, self-destructive, and simply impossible. Thus, one of two things has to happen. A. Squatch our insides, or B. Embrace ourselves for frustrated and chaotic outsides. Either way, it seems to be better if God would not have broken down the wall of isolation between our insides and our outsides. Because in the final analysis, the wall of isolation still exists. Only now that our outsides and our insides know of each other, we are denied the bliss of ignorance. So, are we infinitely calm or infinitely chaotic? And the answer seems to be that we are either infinitely calm because we performed a lobotomy on ourselves, removing the timeless and spaceless insides from our consciousness, or we are painfully, infinitely chaotic, refusing to let go of what seems to be impossible for us to ever experience. Let us introduce a third option. It's not just A or B to be infinitely calm or to be infinitely chaotic. There's a third option. You'll remember how I shared with you that in essence we have three concepts going on here. A. Timeless time of the internalism of the upper heaven in which the saying of God 3,329 years ago continues eternally being said by God. B. Finite time boxed within the past, present, and future parameters of time in the lower earth. However, I also said a third concept, C. And there is what happens after God brought down the wall between the upper heaven and the lower earth when a physical human studies the words of Torah today. Well, herein lies the answer to our dilemma. When God gave us the Torah, He brought down the wall of isolation between the upper heavens and the lower earth, which in turn brought down the wall of isolation between our insides and our outsides. With this, God has empowered the lower earth, our outsides, and our horses, so to speak, to be refined and elevated so that it can break out of its isolation. Now, my friends, when our outsides can only perceive our insides through its outside lenses, then ultimately isolation still exists. Behind this wall of isolation, our outsides cannot truly be intrigued or respect the infinite timeless and spaceless experience of our insides. However, as we refine our outsides through Torah study, our mind and paradigms are lifted into the exaltedness of our infinite timeless and spaceless insides. This then becomes our third option, which is C. And there is what happens after God brought down the wall of isolation between the upper heaven and the lower earth when a physical human studies the words of Torah today. The ultimate desire of God in creating our world and in giving us the Torah to the lower earth 
and not to the angels of the higher heavens, is that we reach into the ultimate essence inside, which is not just timeless and spaceless in that it defies time and space. Rather, the ultimate desire is to have timeless time and spaceless space within time and space. What this means is that while we cannot be living our entire lifespan of our relationship with God, with ourselves and with others on a timeless honeymoon cruise, however, we can live in a timeless time honeymoon cruise if we are courageous enough to do so. In closing, let's get practical. What is it about the timeless honeymoon experience that makes us feel so alive and so loved? Is it being on a cruise? Is it being in Israel, Europe, or in the Bahamas? Let's be honest and admit that while these are all nice and fun, however, they aren't what make our timeless honeymoon experience so priceless and breathless. Let me make this so palatably clear and real to all of us. So, the love of your life takes you on a second honeymoon. You are so excited, packing, and you let the love of your life work over hours so that he or she can get everything done in order to be able to not have to be disturbed from his or her office while you are both on your second honeymoon. Wow. However, little did you know that he or she got this satellite phone which works even when you are hundreds of miles out at sea. You see, it isn't the cruise ship experience, Israel, Europe, or the Bahamas. It is only about our being the one and only center of the universe that makes life become timeless and spaceless. And so it is in our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. In our relationship with God, all we really need is timeless time in which we set a time to make God the one and only center of our universe. And in return, we allow ourselves to feel that we are the one and only center of God's universe to God. With ourselves too, we need to set a time where we are no one's parents, child, or sibling. We need to create a moment in which we say, I am just me, period. In that set time, we are the one and only center of our universe, and we take care of only our own inner child. And so it is, my friends, with our relationships with others, whether it be our spouses, one we love, our children, parents, co-workers, or simply friends. Remember it as such. I'm now going to say something which capturing this one sentence will capture the entire soul of this lecture. So, remember it as such. No one truly wants all of our time. What they want is all of us in the set time that we are with them. I'm going to say that again. No one truly wants all of our time. What they want is all of us in the set time that we are with them. My friends, this includes our inner child. This is the gift of having timeless time and spaceless space. This is where we reconcile ourselves and our insides look as our outsides feel and our outsides look as our insides feel. Friends, 
Modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here at the Jewish Mind is where modernity meets Judaism.